The following presentation was recorded at the 2010 Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute. More information at the docforlearning.org. Greetings to each one in the Savior's name this morning. May His mercy, love, and faithfulness extend to each of your schools, your teachers, and of course you as board members or uh, pastoral representatives or whoever you may be. Um, you're here because of your school, hopefully. May God bless that work. Though I have faced some burnout, I wouldn't say that I've ever had severe bouts with it, but I've watched friends suffer through it, um, personal friends. I've also interacted with and heard of many others who are involved in such a rewarding and eternity-affecting work and yet dread every day of it, and that's sad because there are some great possibilities in our schools. Burnout has hamstrung many a school, and it is my burden that we do all we can to take this legendary limp out of this part of our Christian walk. Unfortunately, I think I hear of it quite often. Teachers teach a year and I can't handle it, and they quit. Somewhere else another teacher teaches a year, they can handle it, and they quit. I'm not saying it is all the board's fault, I'm not saying it's all the school's fault, but let's do what we can, let's talk about some ideas that we can hopefully administrate in our schools to help bring this problem a little more within the bounds that I think it could be in. Recognizing, curing, and preventing teacher burnout. I hope the planning committee doesn't mind the modification of the title. I added preventing on the end, and I, I want to share a few thoughts on how we can prevent burnout. I think there are a few topics that probably help with that as well. But recognizing and curing seems to indicate that there is a problem, and I think many times there is a problem. Um, if, if you need a cure, you must have a problem. So if we can somehow prevent some of these cases of burnout, I think that may even be better. I don't think we should fool ourselves into thinking that we can eliminate all cases of burnout. I think that's a little idealistic. But there are situations where burnout could have and should have been avoided. I've not done exhaustive research on... Um, clinical analyses into what is a proper diagnosis of burnout. But I have my dictionary definition that I think serves fairly well for today's session. American Heritage Dictionary says it's a physical or emotional exhaustion, especially as a result of long-term stress or dissipation. Long-term often has a lot to do with burnout. You can, you can handle a student that, that messes up two days in one week and, and after, first of all, keeping him in for recess and then the second day um, giving him a little stiffer punishment, it's over. That's not, that's not long-term stress. That's just a problem came up, you dealt with it, and it's over. That typically does not cause burnout. Not to a burned-out person, it may look like a big issue, but typically those kinds of things do not cause burnout, but it's a long-term, acute kind of problem. <clears throat> Turn with me to Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Numbers, chapter 16. I'd like to take a look at uh, the life of Moses for just a little bit. Moses has been called, and is called in Scripture, the meekest man, um, face of the earth. 
and it probably took that man to lead this many people for so long and not have more serious uh, mess-ups than Moses did have. I'd like to take a look at a, a series of events that I think took Moses to the place where, I don't want to use the word he snapped, but that's kind of what happened. And what what happened in those series of events and why did it affect him so deeply? And we don't have um, a lot of time to spend on this, but a few verses, beginning with verses 2 and 3 of chapter 16. And they rose up before Moses, with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. These weren't just a couple of rebellious people. These were men that were respected, men that were leaders. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So there's confrontation. What is Moses going to do with this? Move on to verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, and the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Here's a little bit of defiance along with it. Move on to verse 15. And Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And so the, the conflict continues to grow. Move on to uh, 31 to 35. Let's read those verses. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, and this is now when Moses has called Dathan the Byram and all these men uh, before the congregation, and he's, he's telling them what the Lord is going to do. Verse 31, And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord, and consumed the two hundred and fifty men that offered incense. Moving on to verse 41. But on the morrow, the very next morning, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. Moses opened the earth and swallowed them alive, didn't he? Moses killed the people of the Lord. That wasn't true. Ye have killed the people of the Lord. First of all, they weren't people of the Lord, and first of all, Moses didn't do it. But that's what they said. Move on to verse 46. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire then from the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto this congregation because the plague of the Lord had broken out. And verse 49. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah. So a lot of people have died because of this um, problem of rebellion. In chapters 17 through um, 19... There's basically a reestablishment of who are the priests, who are the spiritual leaders in this group, and it's done with a rod that budded, and they go over the purification laws, and a lot of things that... I think Moses probably kind of felt like, okay, now this issue is settled. Now we've taken care of this thing. Move on to chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin. In the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there, and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses, and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. They're wishing they could have had happened to them what happened to all those other associates of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. 
And I think this was something that was very difficult for Moses to swallow. Can't you see what the Lord has done? Can't you see that the Lord has spoken very clearly? And here you continue and continue and continue to bring this issue up and think that it's something that I did. And they were wanting water, but they kind of as a jab threw in this thing about, too bad we just didn't die with the rest of them. And so in verses 10 to 13 of chapter 20, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Because of this, Moses, of course, was not able to enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7, only two years later, two years after this incident, according to the dates in my Bible, which I think is pretty close, Moses passed away. If it would not have been for the children of Israel rebelling at the border of Canaan the first time, Moses could have been in the land of conquest for 38 years already. And it says when he died in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7, that his strength was not abated. He was still as physically capable as he had been. In other words, that 40 years of wilderness wandering didn't affect him more than it did their sandals and their clothing and whatever else the Lord had said would not wear out. And yet Moses did make this mistake. And we see here that burnout does not sanctify or justify an improper response in anybody's part. Even though we are at a place of burnout, even though we're at a place of feeling at the end of our rope, it does not justify some kind of unsanctified response. Moses many times responded in right ways. But this buildup was very difficult for Moses, and he did respond in a way that was not God's will. Jesus, our perfect example, I don't know to what degree Jesus experienced burnout, but the people demanded Jesus' time. And I would like to turn to John, Gospel of John, chapter 6, and read verses 15 through 21. John, chapter 6, verses 15 through 21. This was after the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And in the process, he had sent his disciples, other gospels say he constrained them to go to the other side. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea rose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. He said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. And they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Um, It appears like, and some of the other Gospels especially, it points out a little bit more that Jesus was facing um, a time of a lot of pressure from the people. They wanted him. They wanted him to heal. They wanted him to... uh, 
speak to them. They were anxious to hear what he had to say. Uh, one more verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And there was a time when the disciples were trying to cast out the devil and could not. He said, this comes only through much prayer and fasting. And if Jesus himself needed to spend all this time in prayer, he spent all night in prayer, and I'm sure he was also physically tired. But somehow there was an amount of, of uh, rejuvenation that took place in spending that night in prayer that I probably haven't quite experienced because I haven't spent all night in prayer. But let's, let's remember that. Our greatest source of energy and strength is still the Lord Himself. Spend time in prayer and solitude um, as a way to overcome burnout. All right. Let's talk about some causes of burnout. I'd like to just briefly look at some causes, then we'll talk about how to recognize burnout, how to cure burnout, and then how to prevent it. Cause number one can be unresolved behavior issues. When a teacher feels like they need to make sure they keep an eye on this certain student or group of students and they need to do it almost all the time to keep them from getting into some other form of mischief it just wears you out and they continue to uh, try to fulfill the rest of their responsibilities give other students the time they need and deserve and teach the classes and yet they feel like we've got to watch you we've got to watch her and it just wears the teacher out that can be a cause of burnout We'll talk about how to take care of that a little bit later. Academic overload. And by this, uh, this could mean two different things. One of the things it can mean is that the teacher does not understand the material. Um, and this is probably, the first year I taught was probably the year I came the closest to facing burnout. And I don't know if you can blame my board for this. In my 20-year-old 20, 20 optimistic mind, I thought I could probably do it. But I got out of school in eighth grade, and, and two weeks before school started, I was asked to teach uh, in a school where they went through 10th grade. So I had two weeks to scramble around and try to get a few things ready, and, and uh, I've told a few people it was either insanity or providence. But <laughs> we made it through the year, and thankfully uh, I was living at Brother Anthony Hurst's place, and he coached me through a lot of difficult spots and somehow convinced me to try the second year. And I did, and I've, I've enjoyed a number of years since that. But teachers need to understand the material in order to teach it effectively. And when they feel like a failure, it tends to create burnout. Another form of academic overload is just too many classes. Uh, there's too much, too much content to try to get in in six hours. Six hours is only so much time. And students definitely want their breaks and recess. And so you've got, you've got a certain amount of, of time to teach, and you need to be able to fit your classes into that. The second point was academic overload. Third point, student overload. And I wasn't sure exactly how to state this, but just too many students. There's a certain number that you can handle and a certain number that are too many. Not all students will be Einstein's. Just isn't that way. At least not most schools. I haven't found one yet to where they are. If all students are quick learners, and it may be the case in a classroom or two, if all students are 
Uh, and they learn quickly, then it, it makes a difference. But typically we have a slow one or two, and they take extra time. You can't have too many students. Um, strained relationships with parents, point number four. There are strained relationships with parents and you feel like you've got to walk the line all the time at school because reports are taken home and you're once again um, eating for supper, regurgitated and, and um, getting the second portion out of it through chewing the cut at, at uh, bedtime and whatever else may take place. If you have that fear in your heart and you feel like you've got to be very careful at school so that you don't upset this certain family students, that just burns you out. But number five, I think this is very important to consider, especially as board members. If you have a teacher that seems pretty obvious is facing some burnout, remember that school may not be triggering this burnout. School may get the blame. The school may not be triggering this burnout. It may be um, physical problems. This teacher may have some kind of uh, physical ailment, physical imbalance, some kind of handicap that is creating their stress. And though they blame it on school, it may actually be some other problem. Uh, financial straits. And this may especially fit for men who have families and are teaching. They may be facing a, a very difficult time financially. And because of that, this is kind of wearing them out and bearing them down and they have a difficult time dealing with any kind of stress at school. Social difficulties. Maybe this person is a loner in their youth group. Maybe they don't feel accepted with their peers. That can be creating their burnout, and then they just kind of take it out on school-related issues. It can be family stress. They're from kind of a dysfunctional family. And, of course, most importantly, probably, spiritual maladies. They may be sick spiritually. They may have a purity problem. They may have a problem with their prayer life. They may have a problem with their Bible reading. If they're not getting their inspiration and their strength from the Lord, they're going to burn out. So having said all that, um, I still think that probably most teachers, or a lot of teachers, who are facing burnout, it is often school-related. But not always. And so to uh, make a fair analysis of what's going on, I think we need to think about these other issues that may enter in. Um, the Reader's Digest had an article on burnout fairly recently that I got from Brother Aaron Lapp. He spoke at Faith Mission Fellowship the other week, last week, I guess. And uh, that article still put teachers at the top of candidates for burnout. And so I think it has something to do with uh, relating to people and children especially. Teachers tend to be uh, idealists and they tend to be full of energy and when things don't work as they think it will work, they tend to feel like they're failing and eventually it can lead to burnout. Stress often leads to discouragement and discouragement into burnout. I know of a teacher who was teaching grades one through four, she had 24 students. That's too much, especially in a conventional setting. And she just told me a couple weeks ago that she was asked to do it again. She said no. She spent three or four years doing it before, and it was too much. Another young man that taught grades four through eight only had 14 students, but he had one in there that was failing, and one that was far enough behind that he had to have uh, 
that student had his own, his or her own lessons. And he taught one year, and he wanted to teach a second year. In fact, I had told him one time that you can't really give teaching a fair try in one year. It takes more than one year to decide if it's for you or not. But he couldn't handle another year. And so we end up um, hurting ourselves, I think, if we can't somehow help these, help these teachers work through their predicaments. Another cause of burnout can be um, unpredictable school authorities and plans, that kind of thing. I, I had a teacher uh, share in a very frustrated way to me at one time that uh, the school found out that they're going to be having a hike one morning when the principal got up front and announced it, and there were a couple of teachers that didn't know that. And that's when that happens numerous times throughout a year, it's very frustrating because the teacher plans. And they have to fit their subjects in, and if those plans are disrupted over and over again, eventually they become discouraged with it, and it can lead to burnout. All right. Number four, recognizing burnout. If you know the teacher well, um, it may be that the light has just left their eyes. Their energy and ideals are gone. They're just kind of um, paddling along and hoping to make it through the year. Teachers should be people who are making plans and who keep setting the bar higher and who have these um, innovative ways of doing things. And they, they think about this idea and they think about that idea. Um, Maybe the board needs to put them in a box, but hopefully they're bouncing off the sides of the box with ideas and, and ways to... It should just be stimulated people, energetic people, and some people more so than others. But if that light and that energy, their ideals and ideas are gone, and they had them in the past, especially, when there's that change, there's probably some burnout taking place. If a teacher sees all problems as gigantic and therefore overwhelming, then there's probably some burnout taking place. Point number two, all problems are seen as gigantic and therefore overwhelming. And the problem is that when even little problems are seen as so big and therefore overwhelming, they're going to take more energy to solve. And the teacher has less energy to start with. So the energy is kind of at a low ebb because they're facing burnout, and then there's a problem which takes more energy than it would for the teacher that's not burned out, and it snowballs and makes the problem worse and worse. Eventually, a teacher begins to expect less out of him or herself, and this often happens to perfectionists, somebody who thinks everything has to be just so. They tend to get burned out probably a little quicker than those who figure out how to leave well enough alone. It doesn't mean that we should not do a quality job. It doesn't mean we shouldn't give it our all. But it may be that not everything will end up being perfect, especially not after the project is done. Emotional exhaustion um, is another something else that goes along with burnout. Tears come easily. Raising the voice comes quickly. Um, size, those kinds of things. Um, if they're very very much a part of school life, this teacher is probably facing burnout. Apathy, which is just a lack of interest or concern, especially regarding issues of general importance. It's a dictionary definition. If that is the case, this person is probably facing burnout. Because you need to be interested and concerned 
about things that are important. Negativism, just a habitual attitude of skepticism or resistance to the suggestions, orders, or instructions of others. And that's difficult. Because to help somebody through burnout and out of burnout, they need to be able to receive from other people. And if one of the one of the symptoms of burnout is negativism, where they kind of tend to resist and they're skeptical about the suggestions, orders, and instructions of others, it makes it difficult to help them through it. Uh, cynicism, an attitude of scorn for jaded negativity, especially a general distrust of the integrity of the motives of others. So if you're even doubting how honest people are about their desire to help you, um, that's another another uh, symptom that makes the problem even worse. Irritability, the quality or state of being irritable, pestiness, just don't, don't. Don't try it. Don't even think about it. And this, this, this you know, guards are up and, and uh, students kind of tiptoe around the teacher. Critical attitudes. The uh, teacher gets to the place where they no longer expect improvement. And also, uh, I think it's point number E on your notes. Fatalistic comments and attitudes. The teacher starts making these comments that everybody or nobody, okay? Those typically aren't very true comments. Everybody and nobody. Typically, they're just kind of lumping everybody or nobody into the same group, and we're making blanket statements, and they're not always true. He'll never make it to the next group. She'll always be a gossiper. She'll be Madison County's gossip source. Or um, they'll never grow up to be respectful. If they can't respect the teacher, they'll never be. And we, we make these kinds of comments, and it means that we've lost hope. It means that we're no longer very interested in trying to help the student improve. If students are talking about a teacher that is changing, okay? again, I'd like to highlight that. Um, not all teachers have the same personalities. But if a teacher seems to really have changed in the last month or in the last month and a half, it probably needs to be looked into, and especially as board members. Let's take a look at curing. Burnouts. The teacher needs to understand that God will not give them more than they can handle. And so probably one of the things we need to talk about, first of all, is do you want to uh, move out of this state of burnout? Or are you kind of enjoying this little cycle of, of despondency? Okay. Do you really want to get out? But what is your what is your perspective of where you're at, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? What are the what are the attitudes that are going along with where they are in burnout? Point number one: You need to understand the problem. The problem. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says, "He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him." Sometimes over that month and a half period, we have kind of made some conclusions. We think we know what's going on. We don't always. We don't always understand everything. Heard a little story from a teacher the other evening. We had a little, over at Faith Mission, there are a number of people who have taught. And so we had a little evening of socializing together as teachers who have taught and are now at Faith Mission. And one of the former teachers shared a story about this little boy that laughed in class and laughed in class and laughed again. And he was, you know what happens when one little boy laughs? More little boys laugh. And it was a disruption, and she was getting really tired of it. And she tried this, and she tried that, and tried to get him to quit laughing. And finally, one time she said, why do you always laugh in class? 
So, well, you never laugh at home. He was enjoying life. He was laughing about. That doesn't mean he still doesn't need to learn to maybe quit laughing as much in class, but she said it put a whole different perspective to the problem. He had a very unhappy home life. And school was happy, and he was enjoying it, and so he was laughing. He needed to learn how to smile <laughs> until break time. But it put a little different perspective to the issue. Sometimes teachers don't really understand what's happening to them. Teachers must understand or must realize there is a problem. If the teacher doesn't realize there's a problem, you try to help them work through a problem, you're spinning your tires. And so if they've become more negative and they've become more cynical and they've become more critical, and it takes time and it takes relationship, but you need to try to help that teacher understand that there's a problem. Teachers often are unwilling to admit that they have a problem because they feel like a failure. They feel like they've been defeated. And most of us don't like to feel like a failure. And so it takes some, some understanding to help them see that just because we gave you a bigger workload than we thought we did doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that now we're here to try to um, help take care of that problem that we may have given them in the first place. Teachers need to have a clear understanding of what is causing this, and sometimes people outside of the situation can tell them better than they can um, figure out on their own. You need to understand what is causing my burnout. And remember, I said it could be outside issues. It it's not always in school. So remember that as you um, speak with the teacher and try to work through that. Teachers must come to grips with who they are. And by who they are, I'd like to say that we are servants as teachers, not lords. Just as Jesus was a servant, yet he had authority. And so teachers do as well. They, they, they are servants with authority. The children don't run over the teacher, but yet we serve them. And, and the two mentalities are completely different. If you're in that classroom as a lord, if you're in that classroom as a servant, it'll make a difference. Children will be children, and teachers tend to be idealists. And so we need to uh, kind of allow realism and, and all that to balance out our idealism. We need to understand that this is a humbling responsibility, but it's also a wonderful opportunity. All right. Um, under E, remedies to, to possible problems. Let's just talk about some ways that we can work through these. First of all, relationship with God. And the aid of his Holy Spirit is imperative if we are to reconcile the situation, both with the board members and with the teacher. Uh, you may need to give the teacher some time. Right, jumping ahead of myself a little bit here. If there's academic overload, uh, discuss what that overload is with the teacher, with the principal, and of course as a board, you need to discuss if there's academic overload, if they don't understand the material, they have too much to teach, then talk about it and come up with a plan. If you can offer that teacher some hope, you can say, look, I think if we um, give this to the other teacher and have them teach this class for you, and we're going to say that for this next quarter, um, EMP Bible or whatever course, uh, the, the students are going to do kind of an individualized kind of setting. And by the way, my experience is conventional, so sorry if I'm speaking from conventional. I keep talking about teaching classes. Some of you are in individualized settings, but 
We're going to put this as a kind of an individualized subject. They're going to they're going to uh, do their lessons. They're going to read their lesson, do the lesson, and they're going to correct their own lesson. And then you just go over it. You don't have to teach a class for this. And you kind of come up with a plan that gives them some hope. It kind of helps to relieve a little bit of the pressure, and it helps them see a ray of hope as well. Give the teacher time and resources. Okay. Number two under academic overload. Give the teacher time and resources to catch up. Uh, you may need to delegate some responsibility, as I said, to other teachers, aides, or some remedial work. Sometimes a teacher needs a break. Maybe you just need to send them home for two weeks. Okay? Offer to step in and teach for them for two weeks and send them home. Let them get a breath of fresh air, especially if it's an extreme case of burnout. I know that you can't always do that if you're the boss of your business or if you're a pastor. Um, but uh, give a teacher that liberty if, if it needs needs to be. Number three, help the teacher understand the advantages of planning ahead, organizing, filing, etc. Organization is a huge time saver. Um, for example, if you teach three grades and you have art, which most schools do, that was never something I enjoyed planning. But if you file every art project for three years, you're done planning art projects. At least you're done feeling pressured to plan art projects as you go back back and start over. Those students have never done the project they did three years ago because you only have three grades. And so you can continue to use those ideas. There are schools who have memory, and the board did this. They have memory planned out on a, on a uh, rotation as well. If you have 10 grades, 12 grades, whatever, you have to come up with a 12-year um, rotation. And this is what they learn from memory this year. This is what they learn from memory the next year. This, and the teacher doesn't need to worry about it. And plus, you know what your students are learning and memorizing scripture in your school. What scriptures are important? What epistles are important? Uh, what psalms are important? The Beatitudes and whatever else. And many teachers do well with planning those things, but it may be one other thing that they don't need to plan. Uh, we had a student that did very poorly in science, and uh, we wanted her to do well in math and English and some of the subjects that are a little more directly connected to successful living. And so we... We uh, told her she doesn't have to do her science work. It relieved her probably an hour's worth of homework, um, four nights a week. It didn't necessarily relieve her of any homework. Uh, she still had homework. But it relieved her of a lot of time in homework. And it just helped to kind of help that student out of burnout. And it also helped the teacher not feel like he has to sit there and spend a lot of time coaching her through laws and etc. in science. Uh, for some teachers, maybe the real time crunch is after school, then check more work in classes. If the real time crunch is in school, check more work after classes. And if the time crunch is all the time, get some help. If there are behavioral issues, um, board should try to get involved, at least through the principal. Um, get a bigger stick. This means tougher discipline. It's time to maybe... Help the students understand, here's the line. It's going to be watched. And it's going to be enforced if there's a behavior issue. And if it's not followed, if that line is not followed, then you need to have a plan how to deal with it. Um, get these behavior issues quick. Nip it in the butt. Don't allow this thing to grow and grow and grow until it is huge. And then try to take care of a mountain. If you can take care of a molehill rather than a mountain, so much the better. So get them quick. Don't stress it. I've had teachers say, what do you do when a student just sits there and clicks their pen? It just drives me crazy. 
doesn't drive me crazy. I'd walk up and take their pen, stick it in my pocket, finish the class, and hand it back to them. They don't need to flick their pen during class. And it was upper graders, and so I didn't have a first grader crying. But, you know, they kind of caught on that this is what happens when I get tired of flicking pencils. Don't stand up there and think, I wish they quit, I wish they quit. <laughs> do something. Get parents up to date and do it soon. If you come to a parent and say, your child has been doing this for two months, and say, well, why didn't I know? Communicate with parents. Or at least have your principal communicate with them if, if you don't feel capable of that. Help, student, or help parents understand the importance of their support to the school. I had a set of parents that um, I almost felt bad to say something because I knew that if Dad knows that this child was less than ideal in school, it's going to be right there. He was also my board chairman. But um, that, was, that was important to him that their children behave themselves in school. And so, and he come and he asked. I'd never have to go to him. He said, "How are my children doing in school?" He was board chairman, so he stopped in at least once a month and chatted for a while mornings before school started. And hey, how how are, how are my boys doing? How are my girls doing? And uh, hey, you're almost slow to say if there's anything negative. Um, but try to help parents understand how important that is to a teacher to have their support. Get the child if there's behavior issues. Get the child to think. Uh, about what this does to their conscience, what this does to the heart of God, etc. If there's a problem that's difficult to get your hands on, what really happened? Get all the students to write down what happened. Rather than having oral interviews, just get them to write down, say, we're going to have five minutes, ten minutes, however big the issue is, and I want everybody to write down what happened. And then you've got something on paper. You can take it to court. <laughs> they sign their name. Okay, You've got something on paper. And... And you say, well, look, you said this. If there are faculty issues, uh, maybe time for some interviews and kind of on a sharing, caring kind of level. The goal is not to figure out who's the problem, what's going on in burnout. The problem or the uh, goal is healing. And you want to bring reconciliation to the situation. And so sit down with, in your heart, your arm around them um, to try to help them through this problem. If the situation is grave enough, um, you may need to dismiss a teacher, and that is a difficult thing to do, of course. But the students are still the most important. And you have to think about what's going to be the most positive for the students. And if the most positive thing is that you can do is to switch teachers in the middle of the school uh, term, then you need to do that, as hard as it is. But reconciliation and healing should always be the first goal and try to restore that teacher. If there are outside issues, um, it may be time to get uh, ministerial counseling, regular suppers or accountability, um, buy a ticket, send them home for two weeks, whatever. Preventing. We've got about two minutes here. Let's see if we can get over a few of these things. Uh, I think Brother Allen uh, spoke about having a plan in place to prepare young people, some kind of teacher apprenticing, and that's wonderful. I do have a form here, and I see he has a form in the back as well that you can give to um, apprentices to fill out as they sit in a classroom. But take these take these young people who have interest in teaching to teacher meetings. Let them substitute. Give them good books to read. Teaching to change lives. Seven laws of the teacher. Reclaiming the future of Christian education. Shepherding a child's heart and many, many more. Um, give them opportunities to observe objectively. And that's where these observation sheets come in. They think about what the teacher's doing, why they're doing it, and, and um, connect it to teaching. Make sure potential teachers whether in interviews or whatever, understand that they may face criticism. I should probably put in there they will face criticism. 
Uh, make sure they understand they'll need to face some tough situations and tough decisions. They may need to sacrifice or completely eradicate hobbies, and they will be servants. Hire healthy and stable teachers, both spiritually and physically. Don't max teachers out, especially first-year teachers. Um, is it reasonable to give a first-year teacher the load that a 10-year teacher just sat down? Is that reasonable? Is it reasonable? How many of you are in, involved in building, men? Maybe involved in building? All right, if you are the boss and your foreman decides to quit, you're going to go out there and find somebody who's never done construction work before and say, okay, you're my foreman. I want you to be quality control. I want you to make sure these guys are busy. I want you to read the print. I know it's maybe not quite that ridiculous because they've gone through school, but they've never taught before. <laughs> so think about that a little bit. Think about what is reasonable. What is prudent? Um, and it may take some fine-tuning along the way. The teacher thinks they can handle it. The board thinks they ought to be able to handle it. But you know what? You may get into the second quarter, and it's really too much. Then fine-tune it and say, you know what? We're going to shift this class over to here. Or we're going to, you know, whatever you need to do to fine-tune it. Try to listen to your teachers and let them know that you are there for them. Keep communication strong, pointy. Um, faculty meetings, one-on-one, -on -one, etc. Board members, please stop in, especially chairmen or principals, please stop in at school and chat with the teachers sometime when the students aren't there and just listen to their heart. Hear what they have to say. Do it often enough that the teachers are comfortable. So you're going to go home, okay, um, you should stop in at school. So you pop in there the first morning and it's strained and you've never done this before. That's okay. Try it again and again and again and again. And eventually if they understand you're there on a friendly basis and in a helpful way, they will begin to talk and share and um, do it effectively. Make sure they know that you would love to be involved. You would like to take a, uh, teach a woodworking class for art or, or maybe do some craft projects with the girls or some mechanics or be a tour guide. Um, you would just love to substitute and take, let them take a few days to go to a seminar. Be a resource. Make sure teachers do more than just school. Make sure your teachers know they are welcome to ask for help. In conclusion, may we have a burning, remember we're talking about burnout here. Burn can also be used positively. May we have a burning desire to train, hire, and nurture teachers who will be on fire with passion for the eternal well-being of these little people. May that fire break out in enthusiasm, energy, and longevity. And may we remember that a fire that burns for a long time without burning out is a fire that burns a lot of fuel. God bless your schools. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.